Take your Bible this morning and turn again to John, the Gospel of John, this time chapter 11. The text is also in your bulletin. I'm going to pick up the story of Lazarus in verse 17 of John chapter 11, if you would hear God's word this morning. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an older, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did not I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him 
and let him go. This is one of my go-to texts at a funeral. Jesus is the one who conquers death. It's one of the signs, the seventh sign, in some ways the climatic sign, that points to Jesus as the Messiah. Of course, the ultimate sign is his resurrection. But this is the seventh of the seven signs that Jesus, or that John has chosen, to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that you might believe on him and surrender to him and have eternal life. Death is a fearful, dreadful specter. In many ways, death is an intrusive thief. We don't want it at our house, especially when you don't know the Lord. But if you're a believer, hopefully you will have such a strong faith in the presence of death, knowing that you belong to Christ. And if you are a believer and have a loved one who has passed, you will have such a strong faith in the presence and power of Christ that even though you sorrow, your grief will not overwhelm you. I will never forget August 14th, 2020. That was the day that Dawn's dad, my wife's dad, passed into the presence of the Lord. And as she was talking to the nursing home that morning, about her dad passing. I was in another room receiving a phone call from my sister-in-law telling me that my brother, Jim, had passed in the night into the presence of the Lord. The day before that, Steve and I had been in Jim's room in the hospital. We read scripture with him. We sang songs together, songs like, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. And we sang and we read and we shed tears. And I still shed tears just this week. A moment hit me and I thought of him and I cried. I don't like death. Something in me says, this should not have happened to my brother. I don't like death, I hate it. But more than that, I hate sin, I hate Satan. But I love God because I know that he is in control of death and that Jesus Christ has conquered death. Over the 45 plus years that I've been pastoring, I've sat with many people who have faced the loss of a loved one. And I've often left believers encouraged at the uh, strong faith, the resilience that they have, that, that even though they sorrow, they don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Uh, they have a mixture of sadness that their loved one is gone, but joy knowing that they are in the presence of Jesus. But at the same time, I have sat with Christians 
who have faced the death of a loved one with the deepest experience of agony and despair and overwhelming grief, almost inconsolable. It's possible that you have believed in Christ and that you believe the word of God, but it is possible that in moments of life, especially in tragic moments like death, you can lose sight of the hope and of the promise of the gospel. And I, I admit it's awkward sitting with people at times that are, have lost sight of Jesus Christ. They don't have sorrow mixed with joy. They just have sorrow, overwhelming sorrow. And you sort of don't know what to say. You pray, you know. Some would say, you know, don't, don't bring in the hard truth about Scripture. Just, just sit with people and, you know, feel their, their, their pain and cry with them. But don't bring in, you know, the, 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 the promise and hope of the Word of God because in that moment they don't hear it. But I don't believe that. I believe that as difficult and as awkward as the moment may may be, what everyone needs to hear in the face of death is that Jesus Christ is the one who conquers death. And they need to hear that as hard as it may be. I mean, that's what Jesus did when I read this text. He meets Martha and, and he tells her the truth. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me will never die. And he that lives and believes in me will never die. As we look at the text this morning, I I have one major concern that I will press very strongly this morning. My major concern is that you are ready to face death. that you will walk out of here today knowing that if you cross that street and get hit by a car, you without any doubt will wake up in the presence of Jesus Christ rather than waking up in an eternal hell. I want you to see that Jesus Christ is the only one who can conquer not only physical death, but spiritual death who can bring you from death to life so that you will live forever with him. As I read this text, I'm reminded that that Jesus is always calling us to rest in God's sovereignty in these difficult times of life. You know, we know that death is a curse. It's the consequence of Adam's sin and of our sin. It's a curse. But we also know that the time of death, you know, August 14th, 2020, whether I like it or not, was God's time for Dawn's dad to die. And it was Jim's time in God's plan to die on August 14th. In some sense, when we read this text, we can see that Jesus 
ordained the death of Lazarus. And we will see how they, they know that he could have changed the outcome, but he didn't. But in ordaining the death of Lazarus, he also ordained the grief and the sorrow and the pain of Mary and Martha. Jesus wanted Mary and Martha to feel loss so that they could come to reassurance in who he really really is. I try to make that point when I do a funeral that the service we're having for your loved one is really not about him or her. Because we can't do anything for them. If they're a believer, they're with Christ. And sadly, if they're not a believer, they're in torment forever. But we can't do anything. And then I'll say something like, you know, a week ago, this was not on my calendar. and It wasn't on your calendar. And I don't know most of you and you don't know me, but here we are today. God has brought us together because he wants to speak to the living. God ordains grief to give you an opportunity to be reminded that Jesus Christ is the only one who can conquer death. He allowed Lazarus to die, and he will allow me to die, and you to die, and our loved ones to die. In some sense, this curse of death is also an act of God's grace. Because it beckons us when someone dies, it beckons us to eternity. It, it, it calls us for something more than life in this fallen world. You know, there's a part of me that says, I want to see my dad and mom again. I want to see my sister. I want to see my brother. It causes us to long for something more than life in a fallen world. It creates a cry in our soul for for everything to be redeemed, for that curse to be removed. But it also reminds us that as much as we may think that we are in control of our lives, we are not. We could make the mistake that perhaps Mary and Martha had in the back of their mind or their friends had. That if if God was really present, if God really loved me, then why would he let my mother die or my father die or my brother die or my sister die? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But that's not necessarily true. If God is saying that this is the time of death, then present, and of course God is always present. Even Jesus in his incarnation, even though he is in a body, he never gave up his omnipresence as the eternal son of God. The mourners who were present in verse 37 said, you know, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And I hear that. 
often in the face of death. How could a loving God allow this to happen? Is God punishing me? Was God punishing them? How could God do that to his wife and children? Why, this is someone in the prime of their life. You know, why did God do that? And our text is going to tell us because God is more interested in your eternal well-being than he is your present grief or sorrow. He's more interested in allowing you to feel a broken heart, to suffer the loss of someone so that you can think about death. You know, I love at a funeral to to preach with an open casket. I like a casket in front of me. And I like to ask people, you know, if that were you, where would you be? We know that this is a body here and the person is living somewhere or eternally dying. But if that were you, where would you be? Sadly, even as Christians sometimes, when tragedy touches us, when we cry out to God for, for mercy and deliverance, the deliverance, We're more concerned about the physical than we are about the spiritual. You've got a neighbor, Joe, who's not a believer and he's dying and he says, you know, would you pray for me? Well, how would you pray for him? Would you pray God heal him? Well, you could pray, God heal him. You would also add to that, if you will, because God can certainly do that. But wouldn't you rather pray, Lord, use this time of helplessness in Joe's life to show him that he needs you. Use me to show him that whether he's restored to physical health or not, he can know peace in being forgiven and hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I admit it was a very difficult moment when I visited an visited a older Jewish friend of mine in the hospital. I knew he wasn't a believer. Somebody told me that he was, he was in the hospital. He wasn't going to live long. And I knew if I told him about Jesus, he would be offended. And part of me says, you know, I don't, you know, I just want to do the nice thing and show that I care. But I was compelled to stand by his bedside and tell him again, if you die without Jesus Christ, Jesus who loved you, who died for you, so that you can be forgiven, Jesus, the Messiah, without any question, if you die without him, you will go to hell. I'd like to believe that after I left and before he died, he called out to Jesus. I don't know that. But I would like to believe that the word of God took seed in good soil that day. It not only calls us to to see the sovereignty of God in the tragedies of life, but it calls us to confess our own helplessness 
again, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We've been here. Obviously, we couldn't do anything. I try to imagine myself standing outside the tomb of Lazarus with Mary and Martha. You know, Jesus spoke, Lazarus, come forth. It wouldn't matter how much Martha spoke or Mary spoke. They could shout at the top of their lungs all day long until they were hoarse, but there was not a word from their mouth that could bring Lazarus back to to life. Death reminds us of the failure of all of our best efforts to sustain life. I like to pride myself that when I came to Christ, I wanted to take care of my body. I wanted to try to eat right. I wanted to exercise. I wanted to be strong. But I'm dying. No, I'm not dying in this moment, hopefully. (laughs) Though dying preaching for me wouldn't be a bad way to go. For you, it would be pretty painful, I think. But... (laughs) But it doesn't matter how good your diet is, how great your exercise routine is, you may sustain your life a little bit longer. But the older you get, your heart is failing, your lungs are failing, your kidneys are failing, your liver is failing, and you know your muscles are slowly atrophying. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. You won't avoid it. I won't avoid it. I'll never forget those last times with Jim. There was nothing we could do. I remember in his prime, he was... He was a great and extraordinary athlete, basketball player, football player, one of the top racquetball players in the Air Force. He was an amazing athlete. I thought when he first came back from boot camp that I was pretty healthy and I was strong and I was fast and, you know, he was... He was about 50 pounds more than me, and I was sure that I could beat him in a foot race. And he came home from boot camp, and he killed me in a foot race. This big, lumbering guy killed me in a foot race. But as I watched him go from well over 250 pounds to a thin, wasting away man cancer eating away at his body laboring to breathe gasping for air sometimes he would say it feels like I am drowning and I can't do anything about it I cannot get my breath but there was nothing anybody could do There was no amount of money in the world that could have paid to keep him alive. We were helpless. And so in our helplessness, we talked about 
the reality of death. And Jesus, the one who conquers death. And our hope was not that he would be well and everything would be fine and we would live here happily ever after. Our hope was that Jesus would take him home and one day we will live happily ever after. But not only are we helpless to raise those who physically die, one of the points that Jesus is making is we are helpless to raise those who are spiritually dead. That's what Pastor Theodore read about this morning. Before you came to Christ, you were dead. Completely dead. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive. More tragic than your being a human being who will face death is that you will live in spiritual death and die in spiritual death and experience what the Bible calls the second death. If you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord, you are dead. You may know about God, you may talk about God, you may believe certain things about God, but unless God has saved you, unless you have been born again, you are dead and nothing can make you alive. Religion cannot make you alive. Religion may soothe your conscience for a moment, but it can never bring you into an eternal relationship with God. Good deeds can make you alive. Sincer cannot make you alive. Sincerity cannot make you alive. We are helpless. One of my favorite gospel texts is Titus chapter 3, where Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating others. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. I couldn't do anything. If God said, I'm going to leave you to yourself, John. I'm going to leave you to your rebellion. I'm going to leave you to your sin. Go your own way. If God had said that, then I would die and go to a Christless hell. But when I was in my ignorance and sin, God saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. God saves us. It's in these times that Jesus Christ is calling us to examine my faith, my personal faith. Again, listen to his words. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die physically, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die eternally, spiritually, never die. But then he says, Martha, do you believe this? Literally, are you believing this right now? Not did you pray a prayer when you were five years old, or did you walk the aisle in a evangelistic crusade? Right now, are you believing this? Being sure that you have saving faith, which is not only faith that begins at a certain time, but faith that continues to believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. It's important to know that you not only believed, but I am believing. A few years ago, George Barna, the pollster, estimated from surveys that he had done in Protestant churches and evangelical churches, he estimated that upward of 50% of people in Protestant churches need to be evangelized. Now, I have read stories of pastors who preached the gospel who later got saved, of elders of deacons, of Sunday school teachers, of preachers' wives, of, of good servants of the church who served all of their life, who at some point realize, I never really trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Jesus' question to Martha is the most probing question in the presence of the death of a loved one or friend. Do you personally, right now, believe the truth about Jesus Christ? And I love the way Martha responds. She responds using the form of a Greek verb that's not always easy to translate. But it would say something like this. Her answer would be, yes, Lord. At some point in the past, I came to that place of faith. And at this very moment, what began back then continues in this moment. Yes, I am believing. So are you ready to die? Are you absolutely sure 
that if you died in your seat this morning, that you would live in God's presence forever. You say, how can I be sure? Well, that's what Jesus wants to call us to. He wants us to be assured that if death is conquered, death is only conquered by Jesus who is, as John introduced him in John chapter 1, in him is life. He's not only light to the blind, he's life to the dead. In verse 23, Jesus responded initially to Martha with a statement that somewhat has a double meaning. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And she took that to mean, yes, I believe that in the end day, as all good Jews believe, that there is a resurrection. But Jesus meant, no, today, you will see the one who is the resurrection of life, the one who will bring about that final resurrection. You will see him prove that he has the power to do that because he will live today. Of course, we know that there's actually a more important resurrection than the one Lazarus experienced that day, as wonderful as it was to walk out of that tomb, to have his face unwrapped and his arms and his legs unwrapped and to be free and to live again. But he died. He died. There's a greater resurrection in which you will never die again. That resurrection begins when you come to new life in Christ, because when you come to new life in Christ, your body sleeps in the grave when you die, but you live forever and ever. Paul could say, for me, to be absent from the body, which would happen to him eventually, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know that when my body's in the grave, I will be with the Lord. Later, Jesus will say to his disciples in John chapter 14, he will say, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. They're going to crucify me. They're going to put me in a grave, but I will rise. And if I rise, you will live also. You need to know today, as strongly as I can say it, that if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you are without hope in this world and without hope in the world to come. You will not only die physically, but you will face the second death, which is an eternity in judgment, apart from any hope of ever experiencing God's saving grace. Once death comes, there is no purgatory, there is nobody paying money to get you out of torment. It is over. 
If you don't know Jesus Christ, you should fear death. You should fear even leaving this building this morning. Because if death comes, that is the end. I don't think anyone says it better than Jonathan Edwards said it in his powerful sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Listen to some of his words. He says, you have offended God infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet, it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. Think of that image. That even though I deserved hell before I came to Christ, it was still God's gracious hand that kept me from falling into that pit. He goes on to say that it is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell last night, that you were allowed to awake again this morning after you closed your eyes to sleep. There is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning, but that God's hand has held you up. There is no other reason to be given why you have not gone to hell since you have sat here in the house of God, provoking his pure eye by your sinful, wicked manner of attending his solemn worship. They said when he preached that message that People were literally holding on to the pew in front of them for fear of falling into hell. But he's right, it is only God's grace. We, there is no reason in me that kept me from dropping into hell at any moment in my life except God was merciful. And so he pleads with his congregation. He says, oh sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit, full of the fire of wrath that you are held over in the hand of God, whose wrath is provoked and increased as much against you as against many of those damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. If you don't know Christ, you are in danger of eternal hell fire. And that is sad, that is tragic. But Jonathan Edwards not only preached about the horror of being lost without Christ, he preached about the joy of heaven. He said the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. But God is the substance. 
They are but scattered beams of light. But God is the sun. They are but streams. But God is the ocean. And that's really it. That's how we leave here today. We leave here with deep fear of an eternal hell. Don't. Or we leave here in Christ with the anticipation of the greatest joy ever. I'm the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. You believe in me? You'll die physically, but you will never die eternally and spiritually. Let's pray together, shall we? And while our heads are bowed, if there has never been that clear moment in your life when you repented and put your faith in Christ that brought about a transformation in your life, a continuing faith in Christ in your life, if that has never happened, then right where you sit this morning, wherever you are, wherever you are in the world, cry out to God for mercy. It can be as simple as, I am a sinner. God, I need your mercy in Jesus Christ. Save me for Jesus' sake. And when you pray that and mean it, when you cry out to God, believing that only God can save you through Jesus Christ, he saves you eternally and secures you eternally. Father, help many here and around the world this morning to repent, to come to Christ, and to live every day with anticipation of the great joy of heaven. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.